last time I was in this pulpit, there were some issues with sound, and I'm hoping that that's the end of the issues with sound. Thank you guys for your service back there. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue after taking a two-week break for Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. We are now back in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24 will be our text this morning. And as you turn there, I just want to simply remind you of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can I get an amen? amen? And he came into this world through the incarnation, living a perfect life, and dying the death that you and I deserve, such that if anyone should place their trust in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, their sins would be forgiven. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave, proving that he has power and authority over sin and Satan and death. And he appeared to 500 people in one time, but specifically to his disciples. And he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, commanding them to observe or teaching them, rather, to observe all of my commandments. And those disciples did just that. They preached the truth of the gospel. They penned the truth of the gospel. And they said hard commandments that are from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we are to be taught by the Spirit through the Word to submit to the Word of God because His Word is good and right for us. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we consider a text that really much of the world and sometimes even the professing church scoffs at. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. I now invite you to hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. He is the only true God, and this is his word. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Pray with me. Father in heaven, hear our prayer. We pray that you would grant us humility to receive your word as from you and not as merely the words of men. Give us understanding that we might apply your truth to our lives in the context of our marriages and in the context of this local church and this community for the display of the gospel is at stake. 
Lord, teach us by your Spirit. Help us, oh God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To submit or not to submit, that is the question. That really is the question. I realize that the majority of our American culture rejects the idea of submitting to authority, period. We live within a context that champions individualism. That is, we are constantly bombarded with a worldview that argues for autonomy. We are taught and tempted to function as if we are our own little rulers, as if we are our own little lords. We hear things all the time, such as, be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Do that which feels good and is pleasing to you. Do whatever you naturally desire, insofar, of course, it does not hurt or harm others. But in reality, if we were to do whatever it is that we naturally desired, then we would always be hurting and harming others. Because the natural man does not, cannot, accept the things of God. And when one does not accept the things of God, and when one does not function according to the things of God, then others are hurt and harmed. One of the things that God has clearly spoken on in a number of ways is submission. Please hear me. Everyone has someone or someones to submit to. Everyone has someone or someones to submit to, at least if you're going to take God at his word. And certainly it's not at all my goal this morning to outline all the ways that God has spoken on submission, but I do want to briefly outline for us this morning the ways that God has called Christians to submit in the church and in the home. First and foremost, Christian, you're to submit to God. You're to submit to God. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Above everything else, Christians are to submit the entirety of their being to God. And that being the case, then Christians are to submit every, to every other authority that God calls them to submit to. And notice what James indicates. He indicates that the position of humility is the necessary reality wherein God provides grace for submission. Thus, I prayed that the Lord would give all of us humility this morning. Second, after submitting above all else to God, Christians are to submit to their church leaders. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they 
are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So what we have here, as seen in Ephesians chapter 4 as well, is the reality that a local church's leaders have been granted authority from God for one purpose, to effectively shepherd the flock of God among them. And so therefore the members of the flock are to submit to their leaders insofar, insofar as their leaders are exercising their authority as prescribed and outlined in Scripture. Third, Christians are to submit to the authority structures that God has ordained in the home. That is, wives are to submit to their husbands as seen in, in the text, as well as in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Likewise, wives, be, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And also, children are to obey their parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I love to teach my children Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. So, Christian, hear me. Everyone has someone or someones to submit to, The question then is this, will we continually humble ourselves before God in order to submit to the human authorities that God has wisely placed over us, remembering that our submission to these lesser authorities is ultimately an expression of our submission to God himself? And before I go any further, I must borrow the words of Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 29, where he says, we must obey God rather than men. So I acknowledge that unfortunately the authority that God grants to humans is often abused. And when someone in a position of authority seeks to exercise authority in a way that dishonors God, then we draw a line in the sand and we say no. We refuse to obey them. If someone in a position of authority calls us to sin, our answer ought to be, I will not. We are to obey God, and we will deal with the consequences, whatever they might be, knowing that God is pleased and smiling upon us. But specifically, my assignment today is, to preach Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, wherein the clear call for Christian women to submit to their husband in the context of biblical marriage is laid out. And even as I prepare for sermon, I realize that those, at least some of those who identify as Christians, reject the explicit call for wives to submit to their husbands and not the other way around. And I believe the main reason, there can be many reasons, but at least one of the main reasons for this is a misunderstanding of the previous passage. By way of reminder, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, is 
the Christian's call to walk in wisdom. I preached this text three weeks ago, and what we saw in verses 15 and 16 is the call for Christians to pay attention to their walk, or their conduct, if you will, such that it is a wise walk. We saw in verse 17 the call for the Christian to understand God's revealed will. And then in verse 18, we saw the call for the Christian to be filled with the Spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21, Paul provides a, an outworking or, or provides details of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Those five participles, those five ING words. External worship. We are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then there's internal worship as well, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then there's this thankfulness, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, submitting to one another. The idea of submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if the text stopped here, then we can make the case that Christians should submit to Christians in an abstract kind of inconclusive way. But the problem, if we take that view, is we have to cut off what follows because the text doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to provide application of verse 21 specifically in the household in chapter 5, verse 22, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. And so we see wives are to submit to husbands in chapter 5, verse 22 and 24. We see children obeying or submitting to their parents in chapter 6, verses 1 and 3. And then we see bond servants to masters in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And yes, in this same section, Paul addresses what husbands and parents and masters are called to do. But in no way. Does he even hint at the idea that husbands are to submit to their wives or to obey their wives, nor parents to children, nor masters to bond servants? And to suggest that Christians are to arbitrarily submit to one another without any further explanation neither makes sense logically or exegetically of the text before us this morning. Yes, I understand that Philippians 2 teaches that Christians are to, in humility, count others more significant than themselves, and that they are not only to look to their own interests, but also to the interest of others. So we have to accept that as well. So what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that therefore those who are to be submitted to, that is husbands and parents and masters, must not be domineering, hear me men, and parents. I don't think we have any masters with bond servants here, but we might have employees with employers or employers with employees. They are not to be domineering, but they are to exercise their authority with great humility as servant leaders in the same manner of Christ himself. Nevertheless, let us not confuse the clear call for those who are to be submissive and for those who are to be submitted to. Please hear that. Let us not confuse the clear biblical call of those who are to be submitted to and those who are be, to be submissive. So before we get into our text, and yes, this has all been my introduction, let me share with you an encouraging conversation 
I had. Three weeks ago, as I mentioned earlier, I preached Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. And in that sermon, I shared a shorter version of the exegetical and logical flow that I just shared with you, Paul's argument. Namely, that verse 21 is often misunderstood and therefore misapplied. And a dear sister, a member of our church, approached me afterward and she asked me if she understood me correctly. She said something along the lines of, are you saying that, that Paul goes on in the next passages to explain the details of submitting to one another and that it does not mean that Christian husbands and Christian wives reciprocally submit to one another? And your boy was ready for the backlash. I said, all right, yes, that is what I am saying. Paused. She went on to share with me that she hadn't heard that explanation before. Or that she has always heard the idea of mutual submission in the context of marriage. And she went on to share that the idea of, of mutual submission doesn't really make sense, in part because there's no passage in Scripture that commands a husband to submit to his wife, but also within our passage, it doesn't really fit the context. And I start to, to rejoice in my heart. I, I was ready for the backlash, but, but now I'm encouraged. And, and she looked me dead in the face and said that she needed to hear what God's Word clearly communicates. Because her natural inclination is not to submit to her husband. Allah, Genesis 3. Nevertheless, she stated that she knows God's truth and his call for her to submit to her husband is what's best. You want to talk about a way to encourage your, your, your pastor after he labors in the text all week long and preaches the text all week long, you just come up to me and say, I want to submit to whatever God's word says, and I'll be encouraged. I'll sing for joy. Hey, you might even be an illustration in a sermon. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but hear me. That is the humility. That is the humility before God and his word that each and every one of us must we need to receive the word of God such that we might identify our sinful propensities, that we might confess them, that we might repent of them by joyfully submitting to the truth. And this is always achieved by the grace of God. For if we don't, and specifically for our text this morning, if you don't, wives and future wives, that our witness to the beloved gospel by which we have been saved is marred. And this brings us to the main idea of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. It's simply this. A Christian wife ought to submit to her husband to properly display the beauty and reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope we see that as we work our way through the outline. First, we're going to see... The call or the command for a wife's submission in verse 22, then the reason for a wife's submission in verse 23, then the emphasis on a wife's submission in verse 24. And I want to close us with just some practical considerations on a wife's submission. So look with me, please. In verse 22, 
as we see the call for a wife's submission. The text says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I'm going to say up front, there's nothing really hard or difficult for us to understand in this passage. It's really pretty straightforward. The difficulty and the challenge is for us to live in light of it. First, let us note that this is an unqualified command specifically to wives. This means that God is calling wives to submit as an act of their own will, regardless if they deem that their husband is worthy of their submission or not. And I'll just let you know, we got some good godly men in this church, but I talk with a lot of the men in this church. And a lot of days you're going to deem that they're not worthy of your submission, but that's not what God's calling you or asking you to do. In other words, the wife's submission is not based on her husband's performance. Rather, it is based on her faithfulness to God. And it is rooted in her relationship with the Lord. That's the truth. I put it this way often. Sisters, your submission to your husband says more about your relationship with God than it says about your relationship with your husband. Well, obviously, we need to know what it means to submit. What does it mean to submit? Various translations translate it different ways. The Greek word can be translated as submit or to be subject or to be subordinate or obey. And really the idea or the concept is it's a voluntary yielding of oneself. A voluntary yielding of oneself, excuse me. To submit yourself is to subordinate your will to the will of your husband. It is to willingly fall under the lead of one who has been given responsibility and authority. The word submit literally means to to arrange under. And it's a voluntary act of an equal. It's a voluntary act of an equal, not the involuntary act of an inferior. And so wives, you are to you are to place yourself or arrange yourself under your husband. And notice here that it's voluntary. I want I, I can't stress that enough. I wish I could highlight it and put exclamation. It's it's a voluntary act of the wife that God is calling the wife to do. And so in other words, husbands are not to force their wives, to submit to them. Rather, the wife is to submit to her husband. And as you are well aware of, submission is misunderstood and often abused in our society. And so you have to qualify and qualify and qualify because every time we hear the word submission, we immediately think something. But what we want to do is understand what God's word is saying. And so submission is not the expression of inferiority, It's not the loss of personhood. It's not the loss of personality. It's not any of that. Rather, it is what Jesus did with regard to the will of his Father after the Incarnation. Though equal with the Father in divine nature, he subordinated his human desires to the will of the Father. And so sisters, wives and future wives, I call you, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, 
to simply follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He did this. And God has called you to do this. Next question we must ask is, well, who are you to submit to? The text says, wives submit to husbands, period. No, your own husbands. Emphasis on own. Paul makes it clear that the wife is to submit to her own husband and not all men are just men in general. We have to understand that. And so if anyone is inclined to think that women should submit to men, period, please be corrected by this passage. God's word makes it clear that men have been granted the authority to lead in the church and in the home in specific roles. And God's word does not teach, God's word does not teach that women are to submit to all men everywhere, period. That is not what God's word is teaching. And we need to be clear on that. In what manner are you to submit? The text says, as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And I understand this phrase to communicate the idea, as a Christian wife submits to her husband, she simultaneously submits to the Lord. I think that's the idea here. And this concept highlights the ultimate, the ultimate motivation for submission. If your motivation for submission is your husband's performance or really anything other than obedience and faithfulness to God, you're not going to be very motivated sometimes. You just won't. But the as to the Lord captures this idea that there's a, a connection between the wife and her Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost, and it works itself out or it expresses itself in the context of marriage. This concept, in other words, shows that submission to your husband is service to the Lord. If you've ever been in premarital or marital counseling with me, then you know that my view about the marriage relationship is that it is first vertical and then horizontal. And then what I mean by that is husband thinking about the Lord, wife thinking about the Lord, and what the Lord has specifically called them to do, and then them playing that out in the context of their household horizontally one to another, such that the husband must be informed by God himself how he is to conduct himself, and that the wife must be informed by God himself how she is to conduct herself, such that when they fail one another, their, their ultimate motivation is the Lord, and so they press on the goal. The biblical call for a Christian wife is to submit to her husband. But why? But why? This brings us to the reason for wife's submission. Look with me in verse 23, please. It says, for or because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. In the marriage relationship, the man is a picture of Christ, while the woman is a picture of the church. 
And so wives, you are to submit yourselves to your husbands not because he is better than you, not because he is smarter than you, not because he is wiser than you, not because he has more worth or more value than you, rather because the functional roles of marriage are not primarily about you, but because they are primarily about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you got married as a Christian, primarily so that you could be all that God has called you to be, you have a wrong view of marriage. If you got married as a Christian knowing that this is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church such that it puts on display in every community, in every context, when Christians honor God's commands for marriage, it puts on display the gospel itself. Why in the world is Satan attacking the family? Because the gospel is visibly presented between the one flesh relationship between a husband and a wife. And so church, if we don't get this right, then we're in big trouble. Big trouble. Marriage is fundamentally, primarily about about the gospel. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And for us to rightly understand what that means, then... We need to understand Christ's headship over the church. Flip a few pages with me to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 19, Paul has just talked about the, the, the great power that God the Father has worked in Christ. He says in verse 20 that he, God the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now he speaks of this this seating, this seating that is, verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then look what it says here in verse 22. And he, the Father, put all things under his Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. What we have here is Christ as the head. That is, he is the ruler, he is the authority over the church, his body. And the head is not severed from the body. Do you guys understand that? That that there's no such thing as a a uh, God-honoring, a gospel picturing marriage if the head is severed from the body. That doesn't work. But, but God, Christ, the head is not severed from his body. Rather, they are organically united and can only function properly if their distinct roles are upheld. Can only function properly if their distinct roles are upheld. And this reality of Christ and the church provides us with a measure of understanding of the metaphor of the one flesh relationship that's called marriage. The husband uh, is the head of his wife such that he, he serves her and she submits to him. 
just as it is with Christ in the church, if the roles are distorted or disregarded, then disunity is imminent. The God-given roles within marriage do not speak of qualitative superiority. That's probably the fifth time I've said that, but I want to be crystal clear on that. Rather, they do speak of functional superiority. One commentator put it this way. He says, again, it needs to be restated that the headship of the husband does not connote any sense of qualitative superiority to the wife. The husband's rule over the wife is called positional power, a power by virtue of one's position. In God's administration, the role of the husband's headship is positional power. Listen to this. His headship and the wife's submission are for the sake of harmony. His headship and the wife's submission are for the sake of harmony. And so husbands and and future husbands, let us consider for a moment the concept of headship. Because when we think of the headship of Christ over his church, we, we probably think of many things. Husbands and future husbands, you need to be humbled and sobered up right now. This is a lofty calling. This isn't a do-as-I-say woman and be quiet type of thing. It's not what we're talking about here. When we think of Christ as head, what do we think of? We think of him as a servant. I won't get into Kevin's text, but in two weeks, husbands love your wives. Serve them. We think of him as as a provider. Tell me, saint. Has not God provided for all your needs, both now and everlastingly? We think of Christ as a head. We think of him as an intercessor. That even now he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Oh, husbands, intercede on behalf of your wives. And certainly when we think of Christ as the head, we think of him as our protector. That there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're we're protected. We're under the umbrella of Christ, if you will. And so when we think of Christ's headship, we think servant and provider and intercessor and protector. And so don't, husbands, please don't, Get this twisted idea that God made me the head and you simply need to do everything that I said. My will be done. Oh no. Oh no. You serve your wives and you protect your wives and you love your wives and you lead your wives and you provide for your wives and you intercede for your wives. Husbands strive to ever increasingly make the headship over your wife like Christ headship over his church. For Christ is himself the church's savior, and although you cannot save your wife, you must see to it that you exercise your headship in a similar manner as Christ himself, your savior, insofar as possible. The church is to submit to Christ, knowing that Christ will never leave her nor forsake her, and our marriages are to be a picture of this gospel reality. 
the biblical reason for a Christian husband, rather a Christian wife, to submit to her husband is because her husband is her head. And this reality is a microcosm of the gospel itself. But Paul isn't quite done yet, is he? Look with me, please, at verse 25. The emphasis, verse 24, rather, the emphasis on a wife's submission. He concludes his address to wives in this way. He says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So Paul emphasizes that which he has already said by way of an illustration in a parting application. First, the illustration. He says, now as the church submits to Christ. After Paul declared that Christ himself is the church's savior, and that's the key distinction between Christ and the husband in this picture, as the husband cannot save his wife, nevertheless, an illustration can be made at this point. And that is one of the church's submission to her Savior. The church is always blessed by the headship of Christ, such that it is befitting for her, the church, to submit to him. So, as the church submits to Christ, here comes the application, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Just as the church, as I just said, is always blessed by the headship of Christ, wives should also submit in everything to their husbands and be blessed knowing that submitting to your husband is ultimately submitting to the Lord. Ideally, those blessings come in real time and you're blessed by your husband. But nevertheless, if you submit to your husband, even if you don't have an immediate blessing that you can perceive or that is tangible, you are blessed by God. Because your submission is to him. And notice what it says there. It's almost as if Paul raises the stakes, if you will. In everything. What in the world does that mean? Well, remind us again of Acts 5.29. We must obey God rather than men. And so other Bible passages do help us to understand what this does and does not mean. But certainly a wife ought to submit to her husband in anything, insofar as it's not contrary to what the Lord has said. We don't want to soften what's said here. I won't apologize for the word of God. This is what the text says. This is a command that is extensive. Just as the church is to submit to Christ in everything, and obviously Christ does not lead his bride into anything that is sinful, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. The biblical call for a Christian wife is to submit to her husband. The biblical reason is because the husband is the head of the wife. The biblical emphasis is to submit to your husband in everything. And in his commentary, Harold Holner offers two cautions that I want to share with you before we get into practical considerations. He says, and I quote, First, there is no indication that a wife's submission is to be based on the degree to which her husband demonstrates his love. In fact, it is very likely that some husbands did not respond to the gospel and see no need to be loving, yet the Christian wife is responsible before the Lord to submit to her husband whether or not he is a believer. We see that in 1 Peter 
chapter 3 also. The second caution he gives is this. Second, her submission is to be of her own accord in obedience to the Lord, not by the demand of her husband. Sisters who are married now and sisters who may be married in the future, what this text teaches us is that it's your responsibility before the Lord to submit to your husbands. In conclusion, I want to help us think through that in some practical ways. I have several practical considerations. We'll see, based on time, how many I get through. But the first is this. Both husbands and wives need to remember that wives are helpers. Both husbands and wives need to remember that wives are, help, are helpers. And so please turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I fear that far too often, when this call for a wife to submit to her husband is mentioned, it gets paraded, but we don't realize what's said in Genesis chapter 2. And so we have to remind ourselves the reality that a wife has a prominent role in the, in the life of her husband. As a matter of fact, where does Jesus go when he wants to talk about marriage? He goes to Genesis 2. Later on in Ephesians chapter 5, where's Paul going to go? He goes to Genesis chapter 2. So we have to have this in our mind. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 18. There's so many practical implications just from this one passage alone. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Pause there with me. So right now, God knows that it's not good for Adam to be alone, but Adam doesn't know that yet. So, so God is going to provide... A gift for Adam. And if we had time to do Hebrew word studies, we would. Th this idea of a helper fit for him. Uh, the idea is uh, a helper suitable for, or really the idea is a helper corresponding to him. You get this idea that there's a coming together that man corresponds to woman and that gives us a even more uh, insight in the one flesh relationship. And so God knows, but Adam doesn't know. So what happens in verse 19? Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Now Adam knows. We see man's authority in the fact that he is naming all of these creatures before Eve arrives. So he's naming them, he's doing what he's called to do, but, but after naming all the creatures, I don't know how long that took, he's like, wait a minute, there's a pair, and there's a pair, and there's a pair, and there's a pair. What's up with this? But God already knew, and he knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so what does God do? Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs, I prefer a chunk of his side is the better idea, and closed up its place with flesh. And the side, or the rib, that the Lord God had made, or had taken from man, he made. The idea is he fashioned, he he custom made it, he crafted it for for Adam. He he made into a, a woman and brought her to the man. What a gift. God is a wonderful gift giver. Can I get an amen, men? Amen. Okay, come on now. But look what Adam says. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. God sees, I'm I'm sorry, Adam sees for the very first time one corresponding to him. And he says, wow, how awesome is this? How wonderful is this? How beautiful is this? Men, that's how we need to look at our wives. It's a gift from God himself, and she was given to you to be your helper. Are you humble enough to say, I need help? And I thank you, God, that you've provided this helper in your sovereign wisdom such that she can come to me and she can talk to me and she can share her concerns with me. You're a fool, husband, if you don't listen to the voice of your wife. She lives with you. She sees all your blind spots before anyone else does. How foolish to walk out the door without being willing to listen to her voice and receive her help. Both husbands and wives need to remember that wives are helpers. We need to have a high view, and at the same time, a biblical view of wives. Practical consideration number two. Both husbands and wives need to embrace the freedom of a wife under her husband's headship. Both husbands and wives need to embrace the freedom of a wife under her husband's headship. Wives, you should joyfully submit to your husband's knowing that he will give an account to the Lord for how he exercises his headship over you. That should inspire freedom. I'm going to submit, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to obey insofar as he's not asking me to sin, and he'll have to give an account before the Lord about his headship. So therefore, you should rest under the headship of your husband, knowing that you have pleased the Lord if you have submitted to your husband. Sometimes this idea of submission, we think of slavery almost just have to do whatever he said. No, you're free to serve the Lord. So we need to remember and embrace the freedom of a wife under her husband's headship. Number three, both husbands and wives need to remember that although a wife is to submit to her own husband, there are also other authorities to be submitted to also. Why in the world would I mention this? I specifically mention this for instances of abuse. 
Women, you do not have to submit to the sinful abuse of a husband. You do not have to submit to the sinful abuse of a husband. In God's wisdom, he has provided civil authorities and church authorities such that if you are abused in the home, you can seek protection through God's other provisions and ultimately through God himself. Husbands. Husbands. As your wife's head, see to it that you are protecting your wife such that they never need to seek protection from you. God, have mercy on you if that isn't understood and applied. Practical consideration number four. I want to talk to future husbands and future wives. Both future husbands and future wives need to consider their potential suitors' view on a wife's submission. This is really important. Uh, look, I, I was young once, believe it or not, and I understand that there's a, a cute girl and, oh, she's a Christian and that's cool and we kind of like each other. I, I get all that. But I'm telling you right now, if you don't think biblically about this marriage thing, then there's going to be challenges and there's going to be problems. And so some of the conversations that you should be having is, well, I wonder what submission looks like in her life. I wonder what headship looks like in his life. I always tell guys, hey, you're interested in her? How does she relate to her father? Assuming that she has a good relationship with her father. That's going to tell you something right then and there. You, you need to deeply consider your potential suitor's view on this concept. Because I'm telling you right now, if you marry that cute Christian girl that might really be saved but rejects like so much of the professing church does the idea that she's to submit to you then uh, I'll pray for you on the other hand if you marry a, a cute young man who wants to be lazy and not exercise headship over you in such a way that will honor you and serve you and protect you and you're always out there fending for yourself? I'll pray for you. Because this is till death do us part kind of stuff. Let what God put together no man separate. So we need to think carefully. We need to think rightly about our potential suitors' views on such things. Final, the final practical consideration. Both husbands and wives need to realize that submission does not necessarily mean agreement. Both husbands and wives need to realize that submission does not necessarily mean agreement. Sometimes a husband and wife will disagree on an issue wherein a decision must be made. Anyone ever had that experience before? Oh, I'm not the only one? Okay, good. So sometimes that's going to happen, right? And sometimes there's no more time to discuss the matter. You've already had the conversations, and you may not be on the same page when a decision is made. And so what do you do, wives, when you think that your husband 
has made a decision that is unwise at best. I would argue that it's okay to disagree, but it is never okay to rebel in thought, attitude, word, or deed. Let's think of an example for a moment. Let's assume that your husband is considering making a purchase. And your financial situation is fine. He is not going to blow the budget. He has money. You guys are doing just fine. But it's not an inexpensive purchase. I start to see wives looking at their husbands right now. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Nevertheless, he's excited. He's going to buy a new tool, as a matter of fact. And he tells you, babe, this will help, help me get so many things done around the house. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be tremendous. He comes in and he's telling you the 101 ways that it will help him and how many projects that he's going to do in the house. And as he's explaining himself, you're thinking to yourself, this tool is going to be used for a month at best, and then it's going to go into the garage, and it's going to collect dust with the other tools that he said the same thing about. So uh, you respectfully share your perspective. And your husband, as the godly man that he is, is willing to hear your perspective. Well, what about this, and what about that? And remember last time that, well, this is different, babe. You don't understand. We really need this this time. And so you guys share. You talk. For an hour, maybe even, maybe more, and you're not on the same page. And finally, he says, honey, I hear you. I hear you, honey. But I really am going to use this tool, and I've made the decision, even though I know you disagree with me, to buy the tool. As a matter of fact, why don't you hop in the car with me, and let's head on down to Home Depot right now. What are you going to do? Sister, what are you going to do? As silly as it may seem, this is an opportunity to properly display the beauty and reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't think of it that way, though, do we? We pit our desires against one another. James tells us why we fight and why we quarrel. It's an, it's an opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. You have an opportunity to convey gospel realities to your children on the basis of how you respond. It's an opportunity. You have an opportunity to have a testimony to a younger sister who will be in the exact same situation at some point. What are you going to do? You're going to roll your eyes? Going to get bitter, going to think of all your husband's shortcomings, and we know he has many. By the way, so do you. Are you going to tell him to get in the car and go by himself? Are you going to call your girlfriend on the phone that night and gossip and talk about what a big schlub your, your husband is? 
Are you going to allow his decision to cause a rift between the two of you and miss the opportunity to display the beauty and reality of the gospel? Or are you going to say, yes, honey, thank you that you acknowledge that we disagree on this matter. However, you have made the decision, and I will gladly submit to you as unto the Lord in this matter. Let's head to Home Depot. I'm arguing that submission can and should look this way in a healthy Christian marriage with the proper understanding of the biblical call to submit, with a proper understanding of the biblical reason to submit, and with a proper understanding on the biblical emphasis on submission. The beauty and reality of the gospel is either presented wonderfully to those watching or it's marred in silly situations such as these. In a couple weeks, we will focus on the husband's call in the context of marriage. But as for now, we must remember that a Christian wife ought to submit to her husband to properly display the beauty and reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Paul has simply said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For he is your head. And as the church submits to Christ, so you, precious wives, are to submit your husbands, for God's glory, for your good, and for the well-being of those under your influence. Father, would you please bless your people. I pray specifically for precious wives and future wives in this congregation, that you would give them understanding, humility, and encourage their hearts to submit to you by submitting to their husbands. Lord, magnify our view of headship in this church. Oh, what a weighty task. Help us as heads of our household and heads of our wives specifically to serve and to intercede and to provide and to protect our wives. Would we do all of this with great joy unto your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.